Is that okay? Awesome. How many of you, when you were a little kid, had someone in your life that you just thought was really, really cool and that you looked up to? Anyone? Yeah, I hope some of us, probably a lot of us did. For me, when I was a little kid, that person who I just like super looked up to and super thought was really cool was my Uncle Steve. Okay? My Uncle Steve. Um, Growing up, my family didn't live near any of our extended family. Like my dad's family was all... Um, in Florida, and then my mom's family was up in like Bellingham on Bellingham on the opposite side of the state from us, and so uh, we just didn't like do a ton with our extended family. So instead, we adopted two of my parents' best friends, Danica and Steve Hargett, as like our honorary aunts and uncles. Anyone else have like honorary relatives? Yeah, I feel like I have a lot of honorary relatives. It keeps expanding. Anyway, when I was little, I just thought my uncle Steve was the coolest person ever. He was one of those people who was, like, really funny. Um, he, like, laughed a lot, and he helped other people laugh a lot, too. So he was, like, always telling jokes. He was one of those uncles who did, like, the Donald Duck voice. I don't know. Yep, that, that's a good description of him. He also loved collecting old stuff, which I thought was really cool. So um, he had this, like, massive collection of baseball cards. Like, I don't even know how many thousands of ba- baseball cards he had. <laughs> he had... Um, like an old antique clock collection. He, he loved like old Bibles and stuff like that. And every time me and my sister would go to his house, he'd always pull us aside and be like, hey guys, come here. Like, look at this cool new thing that I found. And I thought that was really fun. Um, he was just one of those people who like really knew how to create fun. He was fun and fun followed him everywhere. He was great. Then as I got older, I realized that not only did my Uncle Steve just like love to have fun and collect cool old stuff, but I realized that him and his wife, Danica, were also deeply devoted to following Jesus. And I got to watch them from a really young age model what it looks like to follow Jesus. I saw them regularly spend time with the Lord. I saw them deeply invest in the church community that we were part of. And I never doubted for a second that Jesus was very much on the throne of their lives. And one of the ways they impacted me the most was that they always treated my family like their family. Because my family was like on the other side of the country, right? So they pretty much adopted us. Um, They included my family in every single holiday, like going back as long as I can remember. We were like always part of their holidays. They were at every single birthday party, and their home was always open. I was over there all the time playing with their kids and hanging out. And it was such a tangible way that they modeled the love of Christ for me as a kid. I remember even being like really little, thinking, this is how I want to live one day. I want to live like this. One day I want to do this for someone else. I want to model Jesus this well in my own life. So why do I share this story with you guys tonight? Well, we're going to be talking about people who set an example. We're going to talk about people who are so sold out to Jesus that they model him in every single area of their lives, just like Danica and Steve did for me as a kid. So we're going to get into a uh, scripture in just a minute, but before we do that, would you guys just pray with me to get started? Lord Jesus, um, I just want to thank you so much tonight, God, that we get to gather here together. Lord, thank you so much for friends who are like family, Lord. Thank you so much, um, yeah, just that you like want to speak to each of us tonight. So God, I pray that Whatever we came in with, Lord, um, if there's like distractions or things on our brains, that we'd put those aside right now. Um, And God, I just really want to invite you to be speaking to each and every person here and to our community as a whole. In your name we pray. Amen. 
All right, well, if I can get my Bible passers to come forward now, that'd be awesome. Um, You guys probably know the drill by now, but if you need a Bible tonight and you don't have one, just raise your hand, and these guys will get one to you. And that is yours to keep. If you, like, don't have a Bible or need a Bible, feel free to hang on to that one. Okay, as they pass those out, we're going to take a look at Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 to 30. Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 to 30. I'll give you guys just a second to flippy flip. What did Taylor say last week? Philippians? Philippians there. Okay, starting in verse 19. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. For I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself, because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I'm confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. But I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, and he almost died. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again, you may be glad, and I may have less anxiety. So then, welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor people like him, because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help help you yourselves could not give me. Okay, so what exactly is happening here? Because honestly, at first glance, it kind of seems like Paul is just like fleshing out some travel plans. Like honestly, when I first uh, looked at this passage and as I was like prepping to teach, I was like, how in the world am I going to teach a 30-minute message on someone's like travel logistics? Like that seems challenging. Then I remembered like, okay, it's Paul. He wrote like half the New Testament. He's a pretty smart dude. He probably had some purpose for this passage. So I started asking questions like, why did Paul put this section in the very middle of his letter? Like, why the middle? Aren't important things supposed to go in the middle? And why does Paul specifically mention these two guys? Does he have some other purpose than just travel plans? And of course the answer is yes. Paul's brilliant. Of course he has some other purpose. Like I mentioned before, Paul talks about Timothy and Epaphroditus because they're examples of people modeling their lives after Jesus. They're they're examples of people modeling their lives after Jesus. If you guys remember last week, we read uh, chapter 1, verse 27, which says, Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And we read chapter 2, verse 5, which says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ. So in other words, Paul is imploring the Philippians to live like Jesus. He's saying, let your life model the life of Jesus. Then he goes on, and just as Taylor mentioned last week, he gets all fired up uh, about telling the story of Jesus. And specifically in the story, he highlights the way that Jesus lives. Okay, He highlights his characters, he goes over what his priorities were, He goes over where um, Jesus was focused so that the Philippians could see this is is how Jesus lived. This is how I'm supposed to live my life. 
Okay, so let's review that part really quick too. Um, we have a lot of scripture tonight, so get ready. We're going to look at chapter 2, verse five, uh, 5 to 8, which we read last week. It says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So again, Paul's point is that we are to model our lives after Jesus. And that means being completely humble, completely committed to God's purposes, and thinking of others before ourselves. Okay? And as we've talked about, this means, Jesus, this means having Jesus squarely on the throne of our life. So looking at our passage that we read tonight, do you notice some of these same traits that we see in Jesus, also in Timothy and Epaphroditus? Let's look first at what Paul says about Timothy. Um, we're going to reread verse 19 to 22 again, just for a little refresher. It says, I hope in the Lord to send, excuse me, I hope in the Lord to send, uh, and I hope in the Lord Jesus, there we go, to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests, but not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself, because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. So what does he say here? Well, he's saying that Timothy is someone who is genuinely concerned for the welfare of other people. He's saying, this guy deeply cares for other people. In fact, he cares for them more than anyone else Paul knows. He also makes a really interesting statement where he says, everyone else looks out for their own interests, not those of Christ. And I think what Paul is implying here is that Timothy is different. Okay, Timothy is focused on what Jesus wants more than he is focused on his own self-interest. He's different from the other people. Have you guys ever stopped to think about where your focus is directed? What would happen if you counted the number of times in a day that you made a choice based on your own needs and desires? Like, what would happen if you just, like, stopped and counted that number? Like, the number of times in a day you did something because maybe it was, like, fun, um, maybe it was the easiest option, maybe it brought the most comfort or was, like, the most entertaining I know for me, that number would probably be, like, terrifyingly high. I don't know about you guys. Because I regularly focus, and probably most of us regularly focus on things that are in our own best interest, right? Just kind of our human nature. But Paul is saying that Timothy has actually trained his brain to think differently. In fact, he's trained his brain to stop focusing internally, to stop focusing on like his own needs, and to start focusing on the stuff that Jesus cares about. Timothy's not out to live for himself. He's out to live for Jesus and the things that Jesus cares about. He's different from other people. Do you guys know that it's actually possible to train our brains to think differently? I think often it's really easy for us to have something called a fixed mindset. Have you guys heard that term before? I think it's a popular term right now in teaching circles especially. Um, so a fixed mindset sounds like something like, this is just how I've always thought, and it's how I will always think. 
or this is just who I am. I actually can't change my perspective. But guys, that's just not true. We can totally teach our brains to function differently and to focus on different things. It just takes a little bit of work. I remember one time in college, someone challenged me to pray throughout my day, a really simple prayer, that God would just open my eyes to his agenda. Okay, wasn't complicated. So I was like, I can do that. It's a day, you know, I'll give it a shot. So when I was walking to class, I asked God to show me how he viewed the people that I was walking past. When I went to Holmes to eat lunch, I asked him, Lord, is there any way you want to use me in these people's lives? When I went to work, I asked him how I should be interacting with my coworkers. And guys, that completely changed my day. Just that simple act of praying throughout the day and asking God what his agenda is. Because I wasn't just like zoning out when I went to class anymore. Instead, I found myself like passionately praying that the people I was walking past would come to know Jesus. I was like, oh my gosh, these are actual people like who have lives and who need to know the Lord. I went to Holmes to eat lunch. I didn't just eat because I was hungry. I went and like sat and was like, oh hey Jesus, is there anyone around here who you want me to talk to right now? Is there someone who's lonely? Is there someone who needs a friend? How can like, how can you use me? How do you want to use me right now in the lives of the people around me? And when I went to work, Instead of just like going to work, I worked in the admissions office. I did a lot of like filing. So instead of just going to work and like filing stuff, I went to work and asked God like, help me to have purposeful conversations about you. And just praying that God would open my eyes to his agenda completely changed my focus from things that only benefit me to things that could actually advance God's kingdom on this campus. Totally changed my focus. Totally changed my thinking. And I wonder if that's how Timothy operated too. Like I wonder how much time he spent praying that the Holy Spirit would help him actually live in a manner worthy of the gospel and then obeying what he heard. So if you guys haven't ever tried this before, if you haven't ever tried praying for a day, I want to challenge you to give it a try. Okay? Pick just like one day this week and intentionally pray and ask God to give you his perspective. Ask him, God, what is your agenda? God, how do you want to use me in each moment of this day? And I bet it'll change your day. And if we do this in over enough time, it actually will begin to change how you think every day. Right? All of a sudden, we're going to be more focused on the Lord's plan than on our own plan. But for now, just start with the day. Sound good? Give me like a thumbs up. Okay. Let's take a look at Epaphroditus. What does Paul say about him? Um, So flip over, if you're not already there, to verse 25, and we're going to read a little section. It says, But I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I'm all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again, you may be glad, and I may have less anxiety. So then, welcome him in the Lord with great joy, and honor people like him, because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. 
So from this paragraph, we learn, number one, that Epaphroditus came to take care of Paul. Okay, so if you remember all the way back to week one when Melissa spoke, she taught us that Paul was actually writing this letter from prison. And if you're in prison back in the day, you might remember that that meant that your friends had to actually bring you food and water and like the basic necessities to live. The prison didn't actually supply those things. So if you didn't have friends to bring these things to you, you would actually die in jail pretty quickly, which is obviously bad. So Epaphroditus had come to bring these things to Paul and to take care of Paul. We also learned that Epaphroditus himself almost died completing this task. He got so sick that he nearly lost his life. And what's really amazing to me out of this is if you look at verse 26, it says Epaphroditus was distressed because the Philippians were worried about him. Epaphroditus was distressed because the Philippians were worried about him. We just pause and think about that for a second. He wasn't distressed because he almost died. He was distressed because he didn't want his friends to be worried. Can you guys imagine that? Can you imagine that you are so sick, you almost die, but your primary concern is that your friends might worry about you? Can you imagine? I don't know about you guys, but if I even have a cold, I want like everybody to know about, uh, to know about it, <laughs> okay? Like I'm like, I feel terrible. I want like the sympathy. I want people to take care of me. That's just me. You can ask Brandon to verify. Like I'm really not fun to be around when I'm sick. Sorry, husband. Um, so I can't even imagine being in Epaphroditus' situation and having like the capacity to think outside of my own interests. But that's what he did. He was so aware of the needs of other people. He was so committed to modeling his life after Jesus that even when he was at the brink of death, he put other people first. Now, I think as we read this, a question that probably comes to mind is, was it really wise of him to think that way? Like, maybe if he thought a little bit more about himself, he wouldn't have almost died, right? Like, that's just the question that came to my mind when I was reading through this. Because in our culture today, we're just very conditioned to put our needs before everything else. You guys notice that? We're just kind of conditioned to put our internal needs, our personal needs, above other things. A couple examples that came to mind as I was thinking about this. Um, number one is like, say I'm gonna go hang out with a friend and me and this friend plan ahead and we're like, okay, on this day and at this time, we're gonna go get coffee or something, something like that. And then, man, I go through that week leading up to it and it's just like a harder week and I'm like feeling a little tired. I'm like, it'd be really nice to like just stay home. And so I just text the friend. And I'm like, actually, sorry, like I'm not gonna be able to meet today. I've like totally done that. Probably a lot of us have, have done that, right? But what we're actually saying is, like, my, my need for rest supersedes their need to spend time with us. Like, my felt need in that moment supersedes, like, whatever need they had in meeting with me. Another example would be, like, if I have a lot of homework um, and I don't really want to work on it super late. And so I, even though I've, like, committed to maybe going to core group every week, I'm like, actually, guys, sorry, I can't come this week because I have a lot of homework. I don't want to stay up late and work on it. So my desire for sleep and my desire for like an easier schedule 
is thought of first in my brain before how my like lack of presence in core is going to affect the rest of the group. And I know these things seem small. They're obviously not life or death like Epaphroditus. But guys, it's the small moments in life that train us for the big moments. How many times do you think Epaphroditus learned to push through, to push through stress or exhaustion or fear before he got to this moment in our story? Probably a lot, right? As a Christian living back then, he probably experienced stress a lot or exhaustion or fear or danger. And I have to believe that it was all of those like little moments that enabled him to carry out his mission despite his illness. I also just have to stop and ask, what would have happened if he hadn't followed through on bringing food to Paul? Like, what would have happened if halfway there on his journey from where he was to going to where Paul was in prison, he would have been like, oh gosh, I'm like starting to feel kind of sick, kind of tired, kind of run down. I think I'm going to have to turn back. Sorry, Paul. Would Paul have gotten the food he needed to live? Would the author of most of the New Testament have lived or died? We don't know. So often we have no idea who our obedience will affect. You have no idea who is in your life right now in this very moment who is one day going to make a massive difference for the kingdom of God. Maybe the next Paul is in your core group. Or maybe the next Paul is sitting next to you in class or is one of your coworkers. How are you reflecting Jesus to them? How are your actions modeling Jesus to them? So do you guys see what Paul did in this passage? He's not just talking about travel plans. He's not just like going over the details of this trip. He's actually highlighting the lives of two men completely committed to living their lives in a manner worthy of the gospel. He's saying, look at their actions. Look at where their priorities are. Look at where their focus is. They're not focused on themselves. They're focused on humbly serving others just like Jesus did. And when reading this passage, I think it's easy to wonder, like, gosh, were these guys just exceptional? (laughs) Were they just, like, superstars for Jesus who had some completely unique ability to live sacrificially? But I don't think so. In fact, I think Paul probably chose them because they were just normal guys. They're just normal people like you and me who probably had doubts and fears and wondered, gosh, can I, like, really do this? Can I really do what God has asked of me? But they knew who it is they were living for, and step by step, they trained their minds to focus on the things of Jesus. And we can do that, too. And so tonight, as we uh, come to a conclusion, I have two questions for us that I want, uh, that I want to, us to wrestle with. The first question is, who in your life is setting an example you want to follow? Who in your life is setting an example that you want to follow? I think this is actually important to stop and think about because if we don't decide consciously who we want to follow, it'll happen uh, like unconsciously. So for example, uh, in college, I had a friend who I thought was really cool. And I think I wanted to be her friend more than she wanted to be my friend. Um, That's another story. So (laughs) to grow our friendship and kind of like win her approval, I started subconsciously trying to be more like her. 
Okay, I adopted a simil similar style as her. I started talking more judgmentally about the people she talked judgmentally about. Um, I participated in some activities that were like a little bit sketchy, but she liked doing them, so I was like, I can do that too. And obviously all of this did absolutely nothing to further my relationship with Jesus or to help the other people around me. And in fact, I think I missed out on some really awesome, like, healthy relationships because I was more focused on modeling somebody who wasn't healthy. So don't subconsciously choose your examples, okay? Instead, like, let's be intentional. Let's look at examples in the Bible, like, let's look at people like Timothy and Epaphroditus, and, like, there's just a million examples of people living their life for Jesus in the Bible. And then you can also ask yourself, who is actually, like, in my life right now who is modeling their life after Jesus? Maybe that's a friend, maybe it's a relative, maybe it's your core group facilitator. And then once you've, like, thought of that person, I want you guys just to, like, watch how they live. Just observe their life. Ask questions like, how are they spending their time? How do they talk about other people? What is their relationship with Jesus like? What are they doing to cultivate that relationship with him? What are their priorities? I know for me, even as a kid, just by watching Danica and Steve from my story in the beginning, I learned that they spent time, time reading the Bible every day. I learned that they valued people and invited people into their home. And I learned that they put Jesus above everything else. So you can actually learn a lot about how to follow Jesus just by watching godly people. Okay, so my, my second question for us tonight is can others look to you as an example of how to follow Jesus? Okay, so first one was, who in your life is setting an example you want to follow? This one is, can others look to you as an example of how to follow Jesus? So just like Paul held Timothy and Epaphroditus up as examples, wouldn't it be awesome if your friends could hold you up as an example? Like, wouldn't that be so cool? Like, they could say, like, hey, look at Sammy, look at DJ, look at Sarah, look at Melissa. If you want to know how to follow Jesus, watch them. Wouldn't that be, like, the coolest thing ever? In 1 Corinthians 1, uh, or, yeah, sorry, 1 Corinthians 11, 1, Paul is writing and he says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. And I just want to encourage us, like, let's be people who strive for this to be true in our lives. Let's be people who set an example for others. And so tonight, do a little bit of, like, life examination. I want you guys to ask yourself the question, can I right now confidently say to follow my example as I follow Christ? Can I confidently say that? And if so, that's awesome. That's like something to be celebrated, okay? And if not, what are some things that need to change in order for that to be true? Are there priorities that need to be shifted? Are there habits that need to be broken? Do you need to shift your focus from yourself to other people? What would need to change for that to be true? I'm going to go ahead and invite the worship team to go ahead and come on up. And as you wrestle with those questions, I also want you guys to know that God doesn't, like, leave us to do this on our own, okay? We have an, the awesome gift of the Holy Spirit who helps us live in a manner worthy of the gospel, okay? God doesn't just, like, okay, good luck. I hope it goes well for you guys. No, he, like, gives us 
Um, the Holy Spirit, who's an amazing partner, who's going to come alongside us and help us. So I'd encourage you tonight as we go into worship, just like say a prayer and ask the Holy Spirit to help you with whatever the, like he's been bringing to your mind. Like if there's things he's pointed out of like, yeah, this is like an area that could grow. Ask him to help you with that. And he like will and he wants to. So the worship team is going to go ahead and come on up and get set up. And just as we go into worship tonight, I want to encourage you. Um, there's just like different options for how we can engage with the Lord. Okay, if you want to sit in your chair tonight and journal out a prayer or just journal out your thoughts or things the Lord's been speaking to you, that's awesome. Another option is to take an active posture of worship, take an active posture of prayer. That means like you can sit or you can stand or you can kneel. You can raise your hands or like have them open and just talk to the Lord. You can grab a friend, you can pray with them about what the Lord spoke to you tonight. Let's just actively spend some time worshiping the Lord and talking to Jesus. I'm going to go ahead and pray for us. Lord, I just pray right now as we enter into worship, God, that you'd be so present. Lord, I pray that you would be speaking to each and every one of us about areas, um, yeah, God, areas that you're proud of us, areas that we can grow. And Lord, I just pray that we'd be so aware of you and of your spirit and your leading tonight. And let me pray. Amen.